Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. Today's episode of the A-Game Podcast is a two-parter. It is brought to you in part by Naked Warrior Recovery. Naked Warrior Recovery is a Navy SEAL-owned CBD company. They have some of the purest CBD out there on the market. It is a miracle drug. It can help you with stress. It can help you with sleep. It can help you with your appetite. And most importantly for me personally, I love it for the anti-inflammation that it gives my whole body. So if you've tried CBD before and not given it a fair shot, you need to take it for about 30 to 60 days every day, and you need to make sure you're consistent with it. And all those aches and pains and little nagging injuries that have been hanging around in your joints or your neck or wherever it is, you're going to notice that after 30 or 60 days, all of a sudden, you forgot about them and they're just gone. There's gummies, there's drops, there's energy drinks, there's gear for, for t-shirts, for wearing stuff. They have topical uh, solutions there too. It is pure. It will not get you high. It is run again by a Navy SEAL. And if you go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will be able to find under our affiliates a code to get 20% off if you type in A-game when you're ordering from Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Again, it's right there on the website, nicknicknick.com slash links. Under affiliates, click on Get Discounted CBD. It will bring you right to the affiliate page for ordering anything you want from William Branham's amazing product. This is an episode with Eric Paulson. Eric Paulson is a legend in the grappling and MMA world. He's one of the pioneer guys of uh, catch wrestling. Um, he's got CSW school out there in California. We had a pretty long talk. I went out there, I trained with him uh, a couple years back. Uh, we stayed in touch since. Great guy, tons of great things to say. He is a wealth of knowledge and he's got so many interesting points of view on things that are sometimes completely outside fighting and go to philosophy and mindset and faith and religion and uh, energy and all kinds of stuff. So he's one of the more interesting guys because you could talk to him about a million different things. Uh, so some people that are into the martial arts side of this and know him from that and listen to this podcast because of the jujitsu and the grappling and the stories about the old times with Hicks and Gracie and some of those types of things, you will like it for that. But there's also a lot of other things in here for people as we go deeper into this episode on mindset and ways things come together and, and just interesting things that I think are going to be fun to listen to and expand your horizons a little bit. So I did break it into two episodes. We did talk for uh, well over two hours. So this is going to be part one uh, released on this Monday. I hope everybody has a happy Labor Day. And then the second episode, second final half of it, which changes directions a little bit, will be released uh, on Thursday. So this will be Eric Paulson's week on the A-Game podcast. Again, if you're looking to invest in real estate, Go on nicknicknick.com and schedule a conference to talk about how we can work together. I have properties that we can sell, properties that we can partner on. I got all kinds of things going on right now. It's an exciting time on the real estate investing side. And of course, if you're looking to get funding for your real estate deals, Nationwide Business Capital Group is another sponsor of this podcast. Go to www.nicknicknick.com slash links. Under that page, you will see other affiliates. Get funding for your real estate deals. 
You click on that, you go right to Marianne. Whether you're new, whether you're experienced, you're looking for refinances, you're looking for commercial, residential, any type of creative financing deal. If you want somebody reliable that you can trust, that's going to give you competitive rates and terms. Nationwide Business Capital Group will take good care of you. Let them know that Nick Lamagna and the A-Game Podcast sent you over. It's a great episode with Eric Paulson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I look forward to uh, you guys giving me some feedback on this episode and others. If you have topics you'd like me to talk about, guests you'd like me to recommend, or you're interested in being a guest, email podcast at nicknicknick.com, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Have a great day, everybody. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is the legendary Eric Paulson. He is the Combat Submission Wrestling founder at CSW Training Center in Fullerton, California. He is also a former stuntman, actor, model, professional <laughs> MMA fighter. Also has um, trained some of the biggest names you guys have seen in grappling and MMA over the years from Josh Barnett, Ken Shamrock, Hanatu Babalusa Brawl, Cub Swanson, and was also the striking coach for the very popular uh, Brock Lesnar on The Ultimate Fighter Season 13. And I really appreciate today man you have been uh awesome to watch online you were great when i came down and trained we have some mutual friends and uh i really want to hear a little bit about your background i know you're one of the, the guys that i still see as a a real martial artist that knows all the disciplines and you've trained everything whereas i'm seeing now guys are coming up and they're going well i train mma you and uh you know obviously i, I train with ray longo and matt sarah and i feel like they come from that same background that longo is still doing the cali sticks and he came from the jkd background and they really are the essence of a martial artist and the discipline that goes into it and like literally treat it like an art so i'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you got from where you started out in the martial arts to where you are today with csw well, well thank you um i started out as a kid at uh, i'm from minnesota so i grew up in cold country also we used to once in a while, we would create a skating rink on the river behind our house, the Mississippi River, when it would freeze over. But that was kind of dangerous. So all the local skate rinks, um, sometimes there were lakes. Sometimes they were uh, just set out. But outside, the outside rinks were really famous when I grew up because it was so cold. And I grew up playing hockey. And I... Um, my dad had me play hockey, football, and baseball, and it was such a group effort. And sometimes when you don't get to play and your and your team loses, you're considered a loser with your team. And and it was my friend. He's like, "Well, if you didn't play, it's because you suck." <laughs> and then I was like, "You know," and I think I want to do a sport where it's uh, more about personal, like one on one. Is there anything I can do that's like a one? One on one, and they go gymnastics and wrestling. How about that? So all my friends, my brother was a wrestler, and I was like, you know what? Um, what's guys' gymnastics like? And they go hard, and I go how hard? And they go, it's very difficult, and not many people do it. And I was like, you know what? That's me. I've got to do something. Well, I wanted to do something that not everyone else was doing, you know, and I wanted to challenge myself, and. Uh, I, I enjoyed the team sports growing up, but, you know, I had an older brother that was a way better athlete than me, so I could really never match or compare to him, you know, as far as everything, and he was doing sports 24-7 around the we, – we would play soccer, hockey, uh, football, and baseball in the house. <laughs> we had a big living room, 
it wasn't that big. You go back and you go, hey, our living room wasn't quite as big as we thought. And then, and then downstairs, we played hockey downstairs in our house, uh, usually in the wintertime. And then I remember my dad one year, I said, hey, I, I kind of want to buy some boxing gloves. So I bought four pair of boxing gloves for Christmas. And my dad put them on my brother and I, and we would just, he would sit there in a chair and just laugh because I would, I would mill as hard as I could. <laughs> and I'd hit my brother like, you know, 50 times and he'd just go like this. And then, and then it was his turn and he would try to knock my head off. And my dad was like, all right, no, that's real fighting. So that's when, you know, I'm a little kid getting my head punched in and I'm like, and that's when martial arts was still mysterious. It was the Asian martial arts. It was Oriental fighting, foot fighting, you know, and Savat. And all the comics had like Savat fighting. We thought it said Savate, like karate. <laughs> and and um, it was all kind of mysterious back then because, you know, you're in the Midwest and here you got a local Taekwondo school or karate school. And I was very fortunate because my teacher at the local school was a fighter. He was a competitor. All he wanted to do is fight, fight, fight. And, and he said, the only reason we have to do a form is for a belt. And that's the traditional aspect of it. So we had one guy, one teacher was a military. He was uh, stationed in Korea and he learned Taekwondo. So he was a strict military Korean Taekwondo teacher. And then the other guy was just this high class, great boxer, great kicker. He could stand in front of your face and sidekick over your head. And this guy just such a natural. And, and that was my teacher. And so it was so much sparring. I remember sixth grade on, it was spar, 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 spar. And it was funny because uh, the sparring was the secret to to timing which was the secret to hitting people and and i knew that because i came from the karate background and uh as far as oh I, in fourth grade i started judo and that's how i got involved in martial arts because i was really frustrated playing three sports and not being a starter once in a while in hockey because i was really good at skating on my ankles <laughs> and then my buddy goes you know what you do and I go, what? And he goes, you go after the person. You don't go after the puck. And I go, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I started checking people over the boards. And, and I was always, and I didn't know that this is cross-checking with the stick and hooking the skates and all that. I didn't know it was all dirty hockey. And my buddy checked me one time. He was one of my best friends. And he checked me. He knocked the wind out of me. I remember the whole game stopping. I was laying on the mat or on the ice going, and I'm in like fifth grade or sixth grade. And I was like, screw that. I've got to get into something individual. So that's how I got into, uh, originally into gymnastics and boxing. Because my dad didn't want me doing karate. He said, you'll kill somebody with that ancient martial arts stuff. Boxing, now that's a real sport. You know, and I'm coming home in eighth grade with black eyes and, and concussions. And I remember I could see, like, I would look at somebody out of my right eye and I could see, like, eight of them. <laughs> and I didn't know that it was a full-blown concussion, but I never got knocked out. That's the weird thing. Nice. 
I, I literally would get hit really super hard, but I would never get knocked out. And later on, I went to a chiropractor, and this guy was actually a bone specialist, and he was an anti-aging doctor. He had this machine that would weigh your skeleton, and uh, he would do your body composition, and he goes, let's see what your skeleton weighs. And my skeleton was like 55 or 58 pounds. He goes, your skeleton is like 50. He goes, you, your body, your skeleton is perfect for fighting, for battle, for combat. And, and it's funny because my Shudo teacher, Yori Nakamura, said the same thing. He goes, your body's perfect for fighting. He goes, you have a square style body. He goes, you're not, you're not uh, too thin. I was too thin for a while because I didn't eat. I didn't even know what food tasted like when I was in the beginning aspects of my fight career. I was 170, 180 pounds, 185 pounds. And uh, uh, it was funny because, you know, when you get older, you start putting weight on. But uh, I fought at 176 professional. My first fight was 176, then at 185, then 190, 195. Uh, and then my... Uh, heaviest fight I ever fought was 205, where my opponent came in at 230, so I got up to 213, and that's the the heaviest I ever fought at, uh, 213. And then it was weird because when I got a Ken Shamrock called me in 2000 when I was coming out of retirement, and I was or not coming going into retirement, and I thought, you know what, I'm kind of done fighting. My knees are wrecked. Uh, I can't, you know, I, I won the uh, two belts of Japan. I was holding two belts and they didn't have anybody to give me to fight in Shudo because all the Shudo fighters, the official Shudo fighters, they, they started reaching out and going, hmm, maybe we should try. So I'm like, how about if I fight in pride? And they go, oh, but you're a Shudo fighter. You cannot cross organizations. And I go, well, what about bringing some guys in from Pancras? And they go, oh, maybe not so good because some fights uh, maybe set up. And I was like, what do you mean? And these guys fight every month. I was fighting every three to four months. And I was fighting, you know, three, three to four times a year at the most. And I was like, how do I call myself a professional fighter when I'm fighting three, three times a year? I'm like, I'm a professional bartender. That's what I have. <laughs> the fights once in a while. And I go, I would like to fight more frequently for fights, but, but uh, that wasn't towards the end. And it was funny because, uh, again, on the, the pancreas. So as a pancreas fighter, if you have an injury, you could still fight because they have the rope escape. You know, we didn't have a rope escape. It was punching, kicking, throwing, and submission. And, and if you lost two times, they wouldn't have you back. Oh. You could lose once. You start to lose face. If you lose twice, they're like, uh... Yeah, well, we're not going to have him back. So, so the Shudo's mentality is very small-minded. But, you know, they, they started in 1982. They, 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 of all MMA organizations, had the most uh, pro fights in the history of all fight leagues. They had the most. And I will say back then, especially things change a lot now, but the most technical MMA fighters were in Shudo by far because they were all – highly accomplished kickboxers they could all throw they're good at judo sambo and wrestling greco freestyle and they're 
very technical on the ground. The only thing we didn't have was just ground and pound because it was when you hit the ground, you weren't allowed to punch your face. And it was all attack for submission. And they said, oh, we have to make this more real. Uh, we should allow, let's, uh, let's allow face punching. I remember when they changed the rules. And then on the ground, you were only allowed 15 seconds to submit your guy. So that's why the, the, the technical, the aspect of the, uh, the catch wrestling and the shooto was attack, attack, attack. And I remember the first time I went to the Machados, they're like, slow down. You're going too fast. Why are you attacking so fast? Why don't you enjoy your position a little more? And I go, I got to fight in a week. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. I got to fight. I got 15 seconds on the ground. And if I don't submit my guy, I'm back to, my, I'm back to kickboxing. So you learn how to do what we call quick kills. And so uh, a long time ago, I created a video called Quick Kills. And it was all striking, grabbing, takedown, submission. And so that kind of became the theme in, in, uh, in Shudo. All these guys would have bets who the fastest submission guy was. And I, I remember watching Gomi and Luminosato. Ruminus, Rumina, it's Luminosato, and also Mock Sakurai. Those are three guys that would sit there and they would take bets. Who would get the fastest submission in their fights? And I remember because I was on the fight card in uh, Hawaii and uh, Lumina fought Eves Edwards and I fought Ronald June that night and that was a co-main event. And the way, the way has happened is, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Sorry, I got a dog. Uh, the way the way it happened was that um, my fight went three. I think it was three fives, and I went with Ronald June, and we went to a decision. But I, I caught about nine submissions on him, but he kept getting out. That guy was slippery, uh, <laughs> tenacious. I'm gonna say tenacious. That guy was, and then afterwards, when I would talk to him, he trained at Jesus's Lord's Gym. And he was just such a nice guy. I felt bad that I actually fought him. You know, <laughs> I started talking to him. I'm like, sorry, I had to fight you. And he goes, it's a sport and that's what we do. And I go, oh, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, back then everyone was pretty respectful because, you know, you had to train really hard. So fighters were fighters. And it wasn't, there was no talk. You wouldn't talk shit on anybody. Today, you want to talk shit on people because you want to boost the media and, you know, it's a big deal that people, you know, it's like boxing or pro wrestling. It, it wasn't like that when I fought. You wouldn't you know, that, that, that's talk. an interesting angle that you're talking about with the, I'm always interested in the discipline of what kind of goes into that because, you know, just being around guys like you and Matt and Ray and, um, you know, some of the other guys like Clint Dahl that I've been around, you could tell that they don't, like, they're not demanding respect. People just want to give it to them because you could tell that they're, they're good guys, but they're not going to take any shit. And that comes down from the top in the gyms. And I remember when I came down to your gym, we, I went in and we did a private, which you were like, I'm going to show you 60 submissions in like 30 seconds or something like that. And you like, well, like you can take the foot from here, from here. It, it was crazy. So, but then um, we went and you introduced the class and you told everybody like, hey, he trains with uh, Chris Weidman, Matt Sarah, Ray Longo, Pete Drago Cell, and here's who those guys are, which I thought was really cool because I feel like some of the new guys, they, they see, like you're saying, they see the Conor McGregor's and that's what they want to be. But really, like the guys that laid that foundation were guys like you, guys like Matt Ray. 
And I feel like some of the newer gyms, they don't have that discipline in there of the respect. And I saw that you, I think a couple of times during that few hours I was there, stopped and kind of brought it back to like, this is the etiquette. This is how you behave. This is how you act at somebody else's gym. This is how you treat the instructors. And I feel like there's a, there's a lot of that missing now in some of the gyms where like we used to have classes on that of like, you don't go just ask a black belt to roll. You don't interrupt when the, the Matt's dad showing a move and go have a side conversation. Like that's considered disrespectful. And if you continue to do that, there's a hitman in the gym who's going to kind of show you what to do. So um, I like that you kept that because I feel like, especially for younger kids, the discipline of the martial art is such a, a, an important thing that some of them don't get at home or don't get on the street and that humbleness of learning the ranks and the respect. So how do you keep that balance? Because you're also very fun. You made me laugh a lot during that class, but you, knew, like you, you had a really good balance of keeping it fun and light without going to the goofy side or the disrespectful side that everybody kind of knew there was a line and you didn't cross it. Well, I think it's just the way you're supposed to treat other people. You know, how, how would you like to be treated is how you should treat other people. And if you want somebody that's going to talk over you when you're talking, who's going to be on the sidelines, um, mouthing off. Uh, one, I had a problem a couple of weeks ago where I was running practice and I, I noticed one of the, the newer fighters who's completely talented was talking total shit to one of the older fighters. And he was actually, as they were sparring, he was swearing at him. And then he called him a bitch. And I went, wow, like, really? You really talked? First of all, this guy was, this guy was part of the creation of my fight practice, which was 20 years in the making. And here you got a guy in the fourth generation coming in and calling the guy. He's like, come on, bring it on. He goes, come on, bitch. You know, and I was like, whoa. So without confronting him, I sat there because I, I wanted to collect. I wanted to collect my thoughts and, my, and, and more information. And then that night, uh, I said something to the team, one of the team captains. Uh, I said something to my wife because I said, I can't believe uh, some of the guys, when they're talking to each other, they really talk a lot of shit in practice. And, and the thing is, is like, uh, it, here's, here's my deal. Like, in, in fight practice, of course, you got a ton of adults that are punching each other in the face. But, you know, these guys suddenly, so I, I understand a swear word slips out once in a while. But when you start, these guys are talking like sailors in the room. And there, every other word is the F word, and the you know, and there's talk of whatever. It could be disrespect of a girl or what, whatever. You know, like, hey, I had a date last night. Oh, really? What? I understand. You know, it's it's guy talk. You're in a guy's club. You know, there's maybe one one girl in the fight practice, or now girls. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, if you guys are in the place where where this is your profession right now, which it is your profession, and you're talking total trash and shit to each other. In here, what do you guys like out in the street where, where you're not monitored, where where you don't have to be respectful? Are you, you know, or, or is it all a facade? Is it a facade that when you walk in that you have to swear and, and talk like that to act cool and macho, but in the street you're actually really quiet and respectful? I don't know. 
So I made a rule a long time ago when I was towards the end of my uh, fight training career, when I was coaching, I just said, if anyone wants to swear, that's fine. I go, but you get 50 push-ups. I go, just keep your mouth clean. Just keep your mouth clean. Uh, how hard is it to keep your mouth clean for an hour and a half? Afterwards, you guys could go swear all you want. Just in here, if you could just keep your mouth clean for an hour and a half, that'd be great. You get 50 push-ups. This one guy left practice. He had the biggest pecs in the world. <laughs> I'll tell you something. In the middle of doing push-ups, he was swearing and getting more push-ups. <laughs> he was doing push-ups. He's, he's like on 30, and then he's like, F, ma'am. And then all of a sudden, I was like, well, there's another 50. And he, he did probably about maybe, I don't know, close to 700 push-ups that day. Man. Well, you know, and that's just swear words coming out of your mouth. But so when I, when I gave my practice over to Ben Jones, Ben Jones is a, a, an ex-professional football player. He played for the, the Canadian, the Argonauts in the CFL. And uh, that's how he talks. He talks. He talks like that. I don't have a tattoo on my body. Ben has tons of tattoos. They re the younger guys relate to that. I just made a commitment that I wouldn't put tattoos on my body, and and I did, never did put a tattoo on my body. I figured scars were enough proof <laughs> that you know uh, scars are fighters' tattoos. There you go. There you go. And. Uh, so I had a lot of scars. I, I got cut here, my eyebrows. I, uh, I, sh I shaved my eyebrows down and I saw all these cuts. <laughs> when I boxed, I had really sharp brow bones. So um, I would always cut my, my brow bones. I would always, and it bleeds into your face, especially when your blood pressure's high and you're fighting. So it's like, psh, 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 oh. and I'm like, ah, it's nothing. Ah, I was putting some vaseline <laughs> on it. It's funny, like today, I, I would never stop practice when I got hurt to, to stop to put ice on anything. Today, you twist your knee and they go, get ice on that now. Go get ice on that. It's like, what? No, you finish practice. <laughs> you know, just finish your hour of practice and then put it on when you're done. So the mentality a little bit has changed. But um, again, people relate to the swearing. Uh, I, I noticed the younger kids related to the swearing more than me trying to keep people in line, but the generation changed. Like I was on the first, the second, the third, we were up to our fourth generation of fighters. And so I was thinking, well, do I have to re-school and re-educate everybody again? And, and all these young guys were, were coming in and I'm like, okay, so now I got to go back to all these small events, King of the Cage, Gladiator Challenge, all these small LFA, but the LFA is not small because it's a feeder for the UFC. Uh, but some of the smaller events uh, that, that were out there, I, I thought, oh, I gotta go back through all this again to these small little things uh, before we're gonna make it to the big leagues. There's no more pride. Uh, the UFC and Bellator are the top two. A lot of guys fighting LFA. It used to be RFA. Now it's LFA, and and uh, there, there's other little events and things. But um, yeah, I guess I guess they relate more to the swearing. Like Ben will, he's got a 
twice as loud of voice as I do. So when he screams at the guys, um, first of all, you don't want Ben Jones uh, swearing or yelling at you because he's so loud. And and when he yells, the entire room stops and turns around and looks. So now you're getting shamed. <laughs> and and then you throw a swear word on top of that, then you know he means business. And so so his style is relatable to the guys. They relate to it. I took a different approach just because, again, uh, I didn't want people swearing in the gym regularly. So, and I don't play, I don't play music that has a bunch of swear words that has a bunch of, you know, there's, there's enough good music with good beats that you don't have to play all that rap stuff that has nothing but filth coming out of it. You know, and I thought, you know, if you listen to that, that's in your subconscious. So what's to stop you from talking like that? Sure. You know, I think, and, I, think and I was, I was actually in a, locker room with uh, Javi Vasquez. I was cornering Javi and I was training him. And I remember Anthony Pettis came in and he put his music on and he turned it up loud and it was rap, but it was like nasty, vile. The words that were coming out was every other word was a swear word. And I was like, do we have to listen to this? Like, you know, there's of all great music in the world. Why do we have to listen to that? And I go, who's in charge of the radio? I go, turn that shit off. <laughs> Not everyone in this room wants to listen to that. That That's his thing that, you know, it's like food. You're not right or wrong. It's just that some people don't care to to taste spaghetti when they like pizza or, or whatever. You know, I like sushi and you don't like sushi. Don't get mad at me. We're both right. So the whole thing about the thing about that is, you know, um, some of the guys like that music. It, th it makes them thrive. Guess what made me thrive? What's Metallica, that? <laughs> Iron Maiden, heavy metal that made me run up hills. You know, I'd be sitting in a hill looking up at the top of the hill going, how am I going to make it up it? And then I'd put on Flight of the Icarus, and then I'd run up the hill. Uh, it was a story being told, and it was heavy metal. It was right before the speed metal came out. And this, there was some good speed metal. Did you see Wild at Heart with uh, Nick? No. Um, yeah, Nicolas Cage, Wild at Heart. When he played, he did like an Elvis in there, and it, he, he kicked a little bit, and it's funny. <laughs> but uh, that's when speed metal kind of was brought in during that movie. And I was like, wow, that's really good. And I started, and I got a little bit of it. But then I bought a, I was in Scotland. I, I bought a Slipknot. Uh, it was a cassette. And I, <laughs> I was like, all right, speed metal. I put it in. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not for me. It was speed metal. But again, there was some stuff in it that I didn't really care for. I liked, I don't like erratic beats. If you have, if you have metal, I like, I like the, heavy metal guitars i love the drums i like some of the screaming but i don't like the filth because i think that there's enough of that going around so i don't i don't think you have to i, I was surprised when lincoln park uh changed their music after they hooked up with jay-z and they did that one song and and then they kind of changed because they never had swear words in their music and listen there's tons of music I listen to that has swear words. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying some of it is just a lot heavier influence than others. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I remember that was a big thing for uh, Kurt Osiander when they were like, you're not allowed to play metal anymore in the gym. And he was like, oh, I can't be here anymore then. Like, you know, it's some people it's, it's not a big deal for other people. It's, it's major. It's everything like the vibe, the energy, what it's putting out there. Well, and, you know, it's, it's that's Josh. That's Josh. Josh love, but Josh's metal. Like he, he dry, would drive up and he would have full blown speed metal, just like he, uh, Gwar and all these other, I don't even know the name of the band. <laughs> and they're just screaming, screaming. And the music, the beat is very erratic and it disturbs your energy field. And if you don't believe me, why would the why would the government officials that that keep people locked up because of crimes play speed metal all night long to them? Why would they put speed metal on and leave it on all it's to, to break you down? Because it's speed that type of speed metal breaks you down. It's like okay, enough, enough. That's yeah. I'll tell you everything. Turn <laughs> the music off. You know. But, yeah, I listen to my brother. He's a he's a drummer, and he he's played. He toured with Guar and a lot of these oh. other bands. And I, I used to wake up like seven eight o'clock in the morning, and I would be like, ah, oh. you know. Now now I, he's great at what he did, but man, like when you're not ready for that, and that's what you wake up to, it's like, ah. Oh. But so I like I like that style. I like I like um, I like that style of music, but when it's erratic, when the beats are are like intermix and they're not when there's not really a beat it's just it's coming at you from all angles you know there's a reason they created that it's to create chaos and you want you know you have a chaotic brain and everything around you is chaos that's great but it has its place um I, not everyone in the gym wants to listen to that though you know if you want to put on metal put on put on some metal put on some Metallica or Iron Maiden or whoever, you know, even Megadeth, some of that's okay. Uh, Tool, I love Tool. Put on Tool, Perfect Circle, or, you know, stuff that's got a good beat. It's that kind of gets your your spirit moving. Yeah, I like that. I'm yeah, I know, I know you're big on energies. How, how do you how do you balance that in the gym then when there's different? people with different personalities, you know, like, um, you know, and again, some of the metal guys, like my brother and, and uh, Billy Grazzi from Biohazard, who's a jiu-jitsu black belt. I've got I know him. I trained with him at the Inasano Academy. Oh, nice. Nice. He's a, he's a great guy. He's the guy who got me into jiu-jitsu. He's a good friend of mine. Oh. But he, um, you know, but those guys, they, they appreciate art. So they're not you just know. like only metal, you know, he's in a, like a rap core band and they appreciate oh. music. So when you're, when you're being the, the, the guy in the gym, who's got to balance all the personalities, all the different, um you know tastes and how do you do that and keep that level because you did have a really good welcoming energy and everybody was really calm and the people that you had in your gym were so nice there was i forget the one guy's name offhand but he was a a, a cop like a canine cop at the airport and he offered to like pick me up in the morning like everybody there was so friendly and you didn't big have al. that was big al, al. Al. that's right it was al yeah the world's strongest cop what a nice guy, yeah. but it didn't, you know, sometimes you walk into gyms and it's very intimidating. There's a lot of tension. No, Yours was no, not like that I, at all. Well, the reason is, is I, again, I try to be nice to everybody and I, I immediately greet people. And I think that's a big deal is, uh, 
I was at Steve Cardian's in Westchester. Do you know Steve? No. Black belt. Steve Cardian's police officer. He's Westchester, was a Westchester uh, police officer. He's on tons of shows with missing children and abductions and things like that. His name's Steve Cardian. And uh, I'll tell you, when I did a seminar up there and I walked in, there was 35 guys there. They all walked up to me and shook my hand and introduced themselves. And it was all real. It was original. It wasn't because they had to. It's because they wanted to. And I was like, wow, these people here are, are great. Like, wh what a real person. You know, they don't sit back and they're, like, intimidated. They all walked up and introduced. And I was like, man, I had – because, uh, you know, you grow up and, and the, you think that the people of New York from – you go, hey, what time is it? And they go, buy a watch. You know, or get, you know, none of your business. That was kind of the running joke. So you have this opinion when you grow up, you think that people in New York are short and they're not nice or, or they don't have time to talk to you. And it was completely opposite. Everyone was so nice and so cool. And I was like, man, that's the way I would like my school to be. I would like everyone you got to introduce yourself, shake hands, uh, know each other's names. And sometimes like I, I'm teaching and this is horrible, but when you teach a lot of people, sometimes you get newer guys and you don't know their name yet. So you go, okay, introduce yourself, Steve, this, this is, and so, and so this is Steve. And they would always tell them that. And that's how I'd figure out their names. <laughs> so I'd make them introduce each other. And then I would go, what, what did he say? And then, so, and I, I remember at the Inasano Academy, the first time Guru Dan Inasano said, okay, he looks around the room. He goes, Paulson. He goes, Eric Paulson, let me see you demonstrate this move. And I was like, he knows my name. And I was so excited when he called my name out because it's Guru Dan Inasano, you know, guy's famous and and he knew my name i couldn't believe it and i i was only there for about a year and a half and the first time he ever said my name i almost melted but it's a big deal when your teacher calls your name out i mean it really is even if you're a new guy uh and and you should know all the fighters names because you're on an intimate level with the fighters you, you should know all of them because you're helping everybody and and the same thing with your with your school your school, you're dealing with, with uh, you're changing everyone's lives and they look up to you to help them out. And you should be able to be out on one and name, name to name basis with everybody. That's, that's really important, I think. And you know who's the master of that is Carlos Machado. He's got a memory like no <laughs> other. He'll, he can remember your birthday, he can, his memory, even Higgin. Even Higgins said the same thing. He goes, my brother Carlos can remember things about people. Like he had, he met a guy three or four years ago one time and he told him about when he had met him and his birthday and, and uh, where he was born and, and where he lives and where he, you know, where his school is. And this guy goes, he met me one time <laughs> and just passing. So th that's kind of a big deal. It, it no, really yeah, is. I agree. And I'm horrible. I am horrible with names i'm great with faces i'm horrible with names and it's not that i'm 
disinterested. It's just, I don't know. I've just never been good at recalling people's names or, or remembering names, you know, probably cause I met so many people, you know, uh, throughout, throughout the years, you, you meet a lot of people and it's sometimes hard to remember people's names. And you, I mean, you're literally all over the world. So I yeah. can't imagine that makes things any easier to remember names and faces. Well, you know, um, someone said that it's because you're not interested. If, if you are really interested, you will remember people's names. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm great at remembering faces. But names sometimes are, are very difficult. So you, you actually took private lessons with some of the biggest names in the Gracie family, um, Hoyler, Hickson. Um, I mean, I remember when you were sitting there, uh, when I was at your gym, I think you were saying like 35 or 40 bucks an hour, you used to be able yeah. to take privates with Hickson Gracie. Was mm -hmm. that something that helped? Did, did, you, did they play a role into how you teach and the way you run things now? Because yeah. I know your style is a little bit different. Yeah, um, they sure did. Uh, I started started originally with Horian. Horian was my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu private lesson in his garage. And I, I had this idea that I was going to go down there and they were going to challenge me because it was these Brazilian guys that were teaching this art and they have an open challenge. They'll fight anybody. And so this guy goes, when you go down there, make sure you're humble. Don't, don't say you know anything. Just pretend like you, you, you've never trained a day in your life. So. I mean, that's how I am anyways. I don't, I'm not a braggadocious. I, I don't talk about anything, you know? So I went down there and I just said, hi, I'm so-and-so. I would like to, to learn what you teach. And so it was a private lesson on uh, self-defense. And I got Horian. And then, and then after I had Horian for a while, uh, he was busy with stuff, but he was very hospitable. He actually entered, uh, brought me into his house uh, and showed me all the clippings from his dad when he was supposed to fight the Brown Bomber. And he had this idea. Uh, he said, I want to show you this idea that I have. I'm, I'm thinking about starting this, this fight league. Um, it's like the ultimate fight because we're going to introduce jujitsu to the world and we're going to actually create an arena. We're going to make a cage and we're going to have a crane that's going to bring this cage and drop it down and then we're going to bolt it down and then and then the guys will walk in and it's going to be a big thing and it's it's cage fighting and i go wow that sounds like prehistoric almost <laughs> and and i said what if the cage was already bolted and you just had a door on it and the door would latch but when you slam the door it would make a super loud noise just like oh shit we're in the arena <laughs> and so that's what happened. The, they created the octagon. It was, you know, it was the, the door. But uh, originally he had this picture of a crane dropping it down on the, on the mat and then they'd lock it in. And then, so that was interesting. And, but that was before it ever became famous. And he said, we're going to introduce jujitsu to the world. He said, we're going to invite all styles, all weight divisions. And it's going to, we're going to try to, promote jujitsu to show how effective jujitsu is against every other fighting system. And it was Horian's idea. And he did that. 
and then and then when it started getting big he sold it and he sold it in the early stages so I, I I'm not sure how much he made out of it but I know that it was only like a million or a couple million as opposed to what it's worth today yeah it's, it's crazy what what do you think as far as the I guess the two-part question one the, the way I guess I'll back it up first I heard you tell a story about how when you were training with Hoist and with Hickson they forced you to make a choice of which one you were going to train with. That was Hoist. That was Hoist. Because I was doing privates with Hoist. And, and at the time, it was... So right now, I understand the significance uh, and, and the importance of what I was learning. And a lot of people today have never learned the Gracie self-defense system. They learned sport jiu-jitsu. You know, I know Pedro Sauer, Master Pedro makes makes the self-defense an aspect for everybody that they have to do self-defense and all their belt testing but a lot of places they don't i i know the machados uh i'm going to say higgin master higgin uh he says i teach jujitsu not self-defense so there's no standing uh all the standing stuff is takedowns and throws but he doesn't teach like counters to a headlock counter he doesn't teach that that was the old, that was the, the what, what jiu-jitsu was created after was self-defense. I mean, you're going to use your jiu-jitsu not because you picked a fight with somebody, but because you had to defend yourself. And so here's 25 or 30 scenarios that you have to deal with. You have to learn how to get out of a headlock, a front grab, a push, a punch, a rear choke, double wrist grab. And so that's what hoist was teaching and that's what I was learning from Hoist. And I wanted to get on the ground a little more because I want to learn the ground, the ground. And I remember I uh, I sent my old roommate, we lived in Manhattan Beach and I sent him over to, to Hickson. I said, um, there's an older brother that a lot of people don't know who's kind of silent, who's supposed to be one of the best fighters. Uh, and he's he's fought many, many times and he's very quiet. Uh, I would like you to go train with him and tell me what it's like. So I sent my buddy over there and he took a few privates and he was bragging about the privates because he got to go on the ground and immediately mm -hmm. learn how to grapple on the ground. And I go, did you have to do any self-defense? He goes, no. And I go, really? <laughs> so next thing you know, uh, I took a private and uh, Hoyce had heard that I took a private with his brother and he said to me, he said, hey, I would like you to make a choice. And I go, what, what do you mean a choice? He goes, you can't play on two football teams at once. And I go, well, what does that mean? I go, you're both Gracie's. I go, that's your brother. Why can't I train with both you guys? Why can't I, you know, why can't I do two days with you and one day with him or him every other week or whatever? And he goes, you need to make a choice. And I was like, but I don't want to make a choice. You know? <laughs> I, I want, you know, and you cannot have your cake and eat it too. It's up to you what you want. And I was like, what? Well, he didn't know. I didn't want to tell him, but I wanted to fight because I, I at the same time in 1988, this is 1986, 87. My first private with Hickson was 1988. And I had just began doing, or I took a, pri I took a, um, a seminar in street wrestling. They had a picture at the Inasano Academy. I was going to the Jet Center for kickboxing. I was driving in from Palm Desert, 
and I would go do privates with Benny the Jet or Kitas. And then after the private, I would drive by the Inasana Academy to see if it was open so I could peek in and look at all the stuff and because it was like a museum in there. And I was always hoping that Dan and Asano was there so I could meet him because I had all his books since I was a little kid. And this guy's like, hey, where were you? This guy met me out front and I go, oh, I was at the, uh, I was at the Jet Center. And he goes, oh, you want to learn how to street fight for real? Come here. And I was like, well, that's pompous. <laughs> you know? And, and that, it's so funny because one, one week after I had a private, I drove to, uh, I drove by the Inasano Academy. And then as I was driving by the Inasano Academy, there was a pamphlet in the window and it said shooting, it said shooting. And then I had a picture of punching, kicking, grabbing and suplex, and then all these different submissions. And I go, wow, that looks like it's right up my alley. Like I should be learning that. That'd be perfect for me because I do striking and judo and wrestling and, and then jujitsu. And I did my first seminar and he taught us 30 ground techniques, huh. which is part of uh, the, the combination one is 30 techniques. So I remember I went back to Manhattan Beach and my, my roommate was training with Hickson at the time and I was with Hoyce. And he said, hey, how was your seminar? And I go, uh, get down on the ground. So we're down on the ground and we put the mats down and I, and I leg locked him. I ankle locked Achilles. He goes, what the hell's that? And I go, it's called an Achilles lock. And he goes, wow. And I go, watch this one. And I put a heel hook on him. He goes, what's that? And I go, that'll break your knee. It's called a heel hook. Or, no, heel hold. Back then they called it a heel hold. And then I go, watch this. And I went to North and South and I put him in a clock head scissors and I twisted his neck. And he goes, what's that? I go, it's a neck crank. It's called the clock head scissors. <laughs> and he goes, jujitsu doesn't have that stuff. And I go, maybe it's all the things that, that jujitsu doesn't allow. Maybe shudo allows. And I go, that could be my secret. Uh, so, so what I did is I silently was training. I never told people because I didn't want people to know. I did, because in jujitsu class, everyone had the same amount of techniques. And the only way you got better at your techniques is you took more private lessons. And I said, so I'm learning all this stuff. Do you think it's possible to put a mat down in my garage and train this with my roommate? And they go, no, don't you dare. <laughs> it's like college. You don't, you don't buy your books and share them with your roommate. You make them buy their own. And I was like, oh, and I go, but how are we supposed to get any better? And he goes, come to class or not class, come take more privates. I mean, and I'm yeah. like, Ooh, I can afford more private. Because I was trying to do uh, two privates a week, which was 80 bucks a week. That's what I was trying to do, but it was most of the time one private. Uh, uh, and I wanted to do three privates because they had a night training with all the blue belts and the blue belts were black belts back then. There were no blue belts. There were, all the blue belts from Brazil were black belts. I remember the first time I saw a guy come in with a purple belt I was like, what the heck is that? What? <laughs> that guy's got a, a purple belt on and it's faded. What is that? And they go, that guy kills everybody. That guy's so good. And I go, what about the blue belts? He goes, he beats the blue belts. I go, no way. Because <laughs> the blue belts were like black belts back then. So uh, it was interesting. But so 
I learned the Shudo and I kept it quiet. And when I would go to class, I would try to utilize some of the techniques that I learned in there, which was a lot of it was because um, in jujitsu, they don't address the Hon Keza Gatami, which is the head and arm Keza. Like if you hit a head and arm throw on somebody, like a Haraya Goshi or Uchimata or Tayatoshi, you grab around the head and around the arm and you throw them and you end up in a side headlock. That's Keza Gatami. And so Keza Gatami, there's a, there's a ton of attacks that Shudo teaches, which are straight, straight arm bars, they got wrist locks, they got V-arm locks, pillow V-arm locks, uh, crossbody, uh, sorry, guillotine, uh, face locks with the forearm. They had all these different things. And I remember when I went to uh, the academy one day, I tried to go to Keza and they go, don't do that. That's dangerous. And I go, why? They go, I'll take your back every time and choke you. You're turning your back on us and we'll choke you. And so the mentality is a little different. And because it wasn't safe and it was true, all the good guys would hide their elbow and tuck their chin so you couldn't get a good grip on their head. And if you didn't, they'd be on your back. But the wrestling aspect taught me how to get my hips away. So if they're on my back, I would just clear my hips and my neck and then I would hip away and I'd run and turn back in. And so that was kind of, so I would play with uh, the wrestling along with the judo and the sambo and the catch wrestling. And, and then with the jujitsu, I was doing private lessons regularly and I was going to shudo class and learning the shudo privately. And it took about, I'm gonna say four years before it all could mix together so I could really understand things a little bit more. Because I would try stuff, and I, so the guys in Shudo were not good at positioning like the guys in Jiu-Jitsu were. The guys in Jiu-Jitsu were experts at uh, getting out of situations. They're hard to submit because their defense was so good. And the Shudo was so good at attacking submissions, the first thing they taught you is uh, – Crossbody, Keza, north and south, Keza, crossbody, Kazuri, Keza, low body control. Uh, they didn't really teach the mount quite so much. And then they taught uh, back mount, obviously, a little bit, but positioning wasn't as important as submission. In Jiu Jitsu, the submission was on the back burner, it was about positioning, master of real estate. So I understood that. And so that's why. In shooto class, I could do so well because, because the guy I would outposition everybody. And you can't submit guys from a bad position. You can, but you have to be a complete expert. And Master Higgins said he rolled with this guy, Chris Posnick, in class. Chris Posnick was this um, Slavic, um, I don't know where his heritage is, Posnick. Is that uh, Polish or it's somewhere Middle East or not Middle East, uh, Eastern Bloc, right? Posnick. Anyways, he was so strong from his top game, side control, north and south to side control. Nobody could get out of his side control. So even Higgins said, this guy is side control is so strong, I had to submit him from the bottom. Because he was so good at side control, north, and he was a wrestler. That's why it is super duper duper strong. 
And for me, like the, my strength, like this guy was super strong. He was man strong. I was a gymnast, so I was flexible and tenaciously strong, which which helped a whole lot. Gymnastics helped a whole lot because I was super flexible, and I was also strong because we had to do 200 pull-ups and 200 dips and 200 V-ups every day on top of our training. So that's one thing that I really believed in was the conditioning from gymnastics. And I remember I, I, I went... I like the cross-training aspect of it. I, I was going to ask you about that. I know some of the guys that do different... Um, different disciplines to help, I guess, little, uh, a little bit of like accent, some of the other things, but it's not related to fighting. Like for instance, I remember hearing, uh, and one of my favorite quotes is how you do anything is how you do everything. And some of the guys, and I was like, he took ballet and they were like, you have no idea how good that is for balance and core strength and all these other I took things. Ballet. I, I, took I, ballet I, think I never thought that. As a gymnast, uh, because your floor routine, uh, it's guys are obviously more clumsy, but, Ballet and dance really helped my my floor routine and gymnastics. I didn't tell one of my friends that I would ever go to dance class down at Minnesota Minnesota Dance Theater. I would never tell any of my friends. They're like, "Hey, where were you today?" I was like, "Lifting weights." <laughs> what do you think I was? No, I was doing dance. I was doing ballet and jazz. It's supposed to and be grueling, though, right? It was tough. It was very tough. But but even to the, like today. There's a guard pass that I use. I call it terjete. A terjete is you got uh, plie, relevé, terjete, which is uh, you just jump from one foot to the other. But I would wind up on a side to side uh, standing guard pass. I grab both ankles and I'd fake left or fake right, go left, and I would jump with my right foot over and land with my knee on their belly on the opposite side of them. And it's called a terjete pass. Huh. It's kind of like a helicopter pass, but, it, and, and I was like, oh man, I can use some of my dance. Of course, I wouldn't tell anybody that. <laughs> I shouldn't even be talking about that right now. <laughs> well, we'll edit, we'll edit it out. We'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> it, but, it, is, it is interesting. Like even the guys, uh, there's a couple of the 10th Planet guys that were um, the, the two brothers. I forget that the Boogeyman brothers, they're, they were break dancers. And that came right. like right over. And if you see, I mean, Matt Sarah is so flexible he's always doing like these handstands and crazy cartwheel <laughs> like all that stuff that core strength and that gymnast things when you translate that into grappling and fighting I, I think all it does is help bring it bring you to another level on it and understand your body and your balance and your strength like it's that stuff's hard that's right but um what i've done is i've been working for the last it's been 10 years in the making but i have a video coming out called combat athletics and it's five hours it's five hours and it's all gymnastic conditioning it's nice. my my gymnastics coach i filmed him doing 32 different push-ups he has uh dips pull-ups on the high bar uh pull-ups on the rings pull-ups on the climbing rope uh, uh parallel bars high bar uh wall bars floor routine, pommel horse, and then then we cut to some of the fight, all the fighters, uh, Ben Jones running, Coach Ben running all the fighters through all the fast feet exercises, the ladder, we do fast feet, squats, side to sides, 
we, we incorporate a lot of the uh, fast feed exercises from Fast Twitch. Also from, uh, we have a couple, Lucius Smith was a famous football player and he was our coach. And there's some of the exercises that he did, which was all agility exercises and it's for athletes. And I'm like, this makes you a better athlete. So why wouldn't all my fighters be training it? Because I want you as a, a top level athlete. You know, it's not, and that's the secret is your conditioning and your athleticism is going to get you through, through stuff. You got a guy that just does technique. He goes to class, he does technique and he rolls. Then you get a guy who's, who's doing ladders. He's, he's going to the football track and he, he's doing sprints and he's doing all these other exercises on top of that. So his conditioning and strength and flexibility is super high. That's, that's a good addition on top of the technical aspect of uh, jujitsu. Yeah, as, as far as like longevity and training for, for your body, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I was saying that I, since I haven't been able to go to jiu-jitsu with this whole lockdown, one of my, part of my morning routine is I stretch for 15, 20 minutes every morning. And a lot of the things like pains in my knees and some of the, the aches and pains, I'm able to run further and train harder now from stretching. And I always hated stretching. I didn't have the patience for it. And I, I'm amazed at how even just that 15 minutes a day a few days a week after a month, the difference I feel in my body overall and the way it sets a tone for my day. And you got excited a little bit about that and said you definitely want to discuss it. So, I mean, you've been training forever. I'm sure you've had decades of, of bumps and bruises and sprains and breaks and all kinds of stuff, but you're still on the mat. You're still training. Is Are you doing things like that? How are you keeping your body from, from breaking down on you? Well, um, so flexibility is the key to longevity longevity through flexibility and it's really important the older we get the more we stretch you know it's important to do body weight exercises too not just pump iron but pumping rubber like all the power cables uh, i have a power cable workout that i do with uh, elastic cables and also with a power wheel you strap to your feet and you do v-ups and knee-ups and you walk um, I, I use neck conditioner they have a new one out. Uh, what's it called? The tough neck or something? Oh, the iron neck. Iron neck. Yeah, Boy, yeah. I'll tell you, I looked at that thing. I'm like, man, I wish I could use it. If, uh, if I was your age, I'd be using that thing every day. I, I, I have it. it. I have it. Oh, you do? Yeah. Do you use yeah. it a lot? Not as much as I should. You should use it every day. You should condition your neck every day, forward, sideways, and backwards. Because your neck makes your whole body strong. Your neck, if you have problems with your neck, it messes up your whole body and makes your body your balance and your whole body weak. Everything stems from your neck. So if you have a strong neck. So I used to, when, when uh, I started fighting, I fought Matt Hume. Not Matt Hughes, Matt Hume on extreme fighting and I remember he plumbed, he put me in the plumbing, he need me and then he pulled my head down and he started guillotining me. And I was like, God dang it. I've been conditioning, I've been doing Muay Thai every single day. How could he do that? My neck was weak. And I go, I, and after that I vowed, I go, I'm getting my neck so strong, nobody will ever be able to pull my head down again like that. And I got out of it. I put my hand on my face, I put my arm inside of his arm and then I got out of the guillotine and I was like, that's it. From now on, I'm conditioning my neck every day. And I remember I went to Seattle and my friend goes, whoa. He goes, you've really been tricked because my neck was like really, 
really big. I even saw pictures. I was like, damn. Because I, all I did was I conditioned my neck. I actually wrote a video outline out. It was the ultimate neck conditioning video. It was just how to condition your neck. And I shot a ton of stuff, but I never put it out. Uh-huh. I had all these exercises that I used to do. You know, I'm still going to do it. Um, yeah, I'm still going to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's called the ultimate neck conditioning workout. I Because I created a video called the neck breaker series and it was all how to neck crank somebody so i think i think i owe it to everybody <laughs> to create a neck condition so your neck if i was like if if you cut someone off and you only see their head and you see their huge neck you would think they'd be 270 pounds and then they come out and they're like little they got little spindly arms and legs and hips and you're like what the hell but that's how you can tell like a good wrestler look how thick their neck is yeah and I, I believe the neck is the, well, so I think the neck is really extremely important for every sport, especially with what we do with the wrestling and jujitsu. And then uh, the other thing is your cauliflower on your ear. You shouldn't have cauliflower. You know why? Because you shouldn't grapple with your ears. <laughs> That's what John Machado says. I go, hey, John, I go, how come you don't have cauliflower? He goes, I don't, I do not grapple with my ears and I was like oh <laughs> he also said he goes I like my looks and I don't want them to change so he defends his head really well that's fair and that's good because he doesn't allow people to to put them in headlocks that's yeah, really yeah. good I never I never uh it was I think the David Goggins book can't hurt me and he talked about how after running the ultra marathons he literally like his whole body broke down like internally externally and then he started doing nothing but stretching and it actually like completely reversed the aging and everything. And at that point I was like, I'm going to do it. And it's been really great. And it's, I have herniated discs in my neck, exactly like we're saying. So my, my goal was to stretch and then use the iron neck because Joe Rogan's always talking about how great it is. I still it is have a great. little bit over here, but I'm going to keep, I noticed a big difference when I hurt my neck and then I tried to get back into shape, even just doing sit-ups and stuff like the weak neck, when that's the first thing that gets tired, you can see how it affects everything else you know it's your balance it affects your balance big time and your lower back um uh if you i bought a neck machine uh to to condition and not enough people use it i have uh i have something from lifeline they don't make anymore it's called a tough neck and it's a band it's a neoprene band that attaches to the rubber cables and you do all your neck exercises with that I also, uh, Rick Fay, my first teacher out of Minnesota, uh, JKD, Jun Fong, Kali, Thai boxing. Every warm up he did in the beginning of class was neck conditioning. One guy's in a, in a turtle and the other guy stands and you put your head against his leg and you push his leg as hard as you can for 15 seconds. So it's an isometric, you go left, right, lift it up backwards, hands on the back of the head, and then you lay on your back and you lift it up. So what I did is I incorporated that neck routine into every single training session I would do. I would always condition my neck. Nice. I started doing the neck isometrics. And then when I started fighting, I said, okay, your partners are blocking sled. Could I use you for five minutes? And they go, yes. And I go, good. I put my forehead in their chest and I would push them around the gym. For five minutes, I would push them back and forth 
and sideways, sideways and backwards, I would push them. And I said, there's only one factor that you have to have when you do these exercises. And they go, what's that? And I go, trust. Because <laughs> if they let you go, you're going to fall on your face or your back of your head. But uh, guys, they loved it. I, and I created um, kind of a, an idea that guys would walk in. And the first thing they do, they start pushing people around the gym with their head. And what they're doing, they go, what do we do? I go, if your neck is weak, I go, you get knocked out really easy. And then I said, here's another thing. If you have a weak jaw, you could get knocked out. So you need to condition your jaw muscles. And they go, what do you suggest? And I said, okay, well, I have an old boxing coach that, that showed me how to strengthen my jaw and my neck. And someone said, what is it? You put tape between your teeth and you put weights and you do these? And I go, no. You take a focus mitt and you put it on the ground under your chin and you lay forward on it and you do a chin push up. You see if you can lift your hands off the floor and support yourself on your chin. And it strengthens your jaw muscle and your neck muscle so much that you can't get knocked out. Huh, I never heard it of helps. that. Yeah, it's the number one exercise to prevent knockout is you, you hold, you do it three minutes. So these are 30 second holds, you put it right here. And for 30 seconds, you put your weight forward and you just keep your mouth closed right here and it, and it works at. So someone created it and I bought it and I use it every day and it's called the uh, Jawser size exercise. Um, you know what the Jawser size is? It's the ball that you like chew you on. Bite. Yeah. yeah. The only problem is it hurts the inside of my gums under here, under here a little bit because I use it so much. But um, I'll do... 500 bites on that thing every day nice yeah i'm always interested when i see the infomercial for that i'm like maybe i'll get one you should get one i will i will yeah it it makes your it makes your ability to grind down and bite like that really hard and and you know so my kezagatami my my home keza got so good one day in in shooto practice uh we had to we had to do a three-minute drill. Someone had to hold you in Kaza, and you had to see how many times. And then there were so many people in class, so everyone had to hold you for a minute in head, head and arm because of the throw. If you hit a head and arm on somebody, you would have to hold them in Kaza. And he said, okay, let me see if you can, number one, let me see if you can get out. So each person had to hold me for a minute. And there's 15 people in class. So I got 15 minutes of guys holding me in a headlock, and I had to get out. So, so right then, that is where Gracie Jiu-Jitsu came in handy because I knew the escape. Because I asked Higgin, I'm sorry, I asked Hickson at that time because this is like early '90s. I go, "What's your favorite way to get out of a head and arm, like a side headlock with the arm? A wrestler, you know, a head and arm, Kazakatami, side straddle, whatever you guys call it." And he goes, "Do not get there." <laughs> Do not let anyone, and I'm like, okay, all right. Let's say I made a mistake and you got me in a head and arm and you threw me and I'm stuck. What's your favorite way to get out? And so, so that's what I did because I asked, I, I, that was my private lesson was I got to ask uh, Master Hickson what the best way to get out of all these things were. And then another one was when I was mounted, I wasn't allowed to punch people in the face. So I said, so what submission would you use here on somebody that's hiding their arms 
because the guys would take their arms and they put them behind their lower back and they would lay there like this. So you're like, and you couldn't punch your face. <laughs> so they would do that or they would just hide their arms and, and uh, you weren't allowed to punch your face. So they would hide their arms and I go, what would you do? So he, he created a bunch of different attacks for me when I was mounted on people, how to uh, attack when somebody's defending the mount. They don't want you to submit them. And it was never an arm lock. It was triangles and neck cranks. Huh. Yep. And, and when they hide their neck like this and you're in side control, what's a submission against somebody who's defending like this? Side neck crank. You wrap their head, you put one leg over in a half mount, and you just arch backwards and side neck crank them. See, and a so lot of the stuff you do, I see on your IGTV is so much different. You, you have a lot of, anybody, I'm going to obviously put it on the, the show notes, but you show so much cool stuff on your IG, on your, your Instagram well, stuff that Instagram. I don't see anywhere else. It's, it's really good. Well, the thing is, like, I've got guys now that are fighting and they're kind of are in the need to know. <laughs> right so um ben uh coach ben got sick he got pneumonia last week oh yeah just uh he just got sick he was having problems breathing i go i hope to god it's not corona and he went and they said they saw a little thing in his lungs that, and then he went back they said you have pneumonia it's like whoa yeah. anyways pneumonia is dangerous he's he's the healthiest of healthy the guy works out five days a week you know, six days a week. So uh, anyways, he got antibiotics and he started getting better, but he was having problems breathing. So I ran practice. I was, he never even asked me. I just showed up to practice and I go, I'm running practice today. And they go, Oh, so I go, uh, today is Wednesday. I ran Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So on Tuesday, it was all kickboxing. We call it STX kickboxing. And then we spar. And then Wednesday, it was all the clinch, clinching and hitting. And I created a, a sequence of three, three styles of clinching and hitting. One is off the over under 50-50 tie-up. I have a succession of five punches that I hit on guys regularly, and they're all short shots. So I call it the short shot series. The second one is when somebody body locks you I created another series called the clashing symbols series which is like you know like you're walking through a band and the guy's got the symbols uh, but that's their head and their body so I created something called the clashing symbols which you break people's ribs if you if you corkscrew your knuckles like that you break the ribs I call it the Arnold Schwarzenegger punch because it looks like the way when he poses <laughs> I call it the Schwarzenegger so uh, anyways, you got clashing symbols. And then the last is called the, uh, the, the bump, uh, hit and bump or the bump series. You have, a, you have one like a, we call a head slice. You head slice them and then you elbow or hook them. You have an upward elbow where we upward elbow and then we crack them. You have a lean back and you crack them, you punch them behind your head. And then you have a shoulder bump. You have an elbow bump. You have a knee bump and then you... You push them and you have a foot sweep and an uppercut and a hook, but it's all short shots and it's all how to hit somebody in the clinch. And I go, this is going to sit in my brain and do nothing for till the end of time. Or <laughs> I'm going to show you guys today 
you're going to remember and you're going to use it when you fight in, in a week or a month or two months. You guys, will, as long as you fight, you'll use this stuff. So I showed them a ton of stuff. So we go through, I call skill sets. And, and the young guys, they're, they've never learned it. It's just their skill sets off the clinch that they've never learned. They have one or two, but they don't have the whole series. The series of five, the clashing symbols is five. Because uh, we use a double uppercut. I actually hit people with this. <laughs> I actually hit people with this too. And then this one too. It's all part of the clashing symbols. And then the bump and hit series. And the bump and hit series is all to set up. Uh, and that's not even talking about the Kazushi, which is an off balance to the knee. And we have a, a bunch of different ways that we off balance people to the knee. We body lock them as tight as we can. And then when they hip away, we, we straight knee them right in the rib. Uh, we also step over their leg and they back step out. You curb them to, to break the rib. Uh, another one is they, they body lock and you whizzer and like you're going to throw them. And then when they balance and base out, you knee them. And it's, it's things like that. When, they're, when their uh, core is breached and they're off balance a little bit, that's the best time to knee and break someone's rib because they're relaxed. They're not, you know, they're not bearing down to have a bowel movement. <laughs> it's smart it's smart what, what do you feel about the evolution of the sport because of things like being able to post things on instagram that people can watch because i know i was talking to clint Dahl and he was telling me how like you guys used to have to say all right well how do we escape a triangle and you'd have to like pause the vcr and be like i think his foot is here and then you got his i mean that was the way you had to try and learn jiu-jitsu was watching the ua the the vhs ufc videos and trying to piece it together versus now, I mean, you can literally scroll on Instagram and save stuff and learn all these crazy moves. It's, it's almost too much because every day the amount of stuff I save is too much. I'll never go back and look at it, but it's, it's a crazy well, time. You, can, you use it as a reference, but the, the secret is your time on the mat. So the secret, you know, you can get all this information, but, you know, it's in your brain. It's not in your body. Repetition is the mother of all. So, so if you take something and you just rep it and rep it and rep it, it becomes yours. But it, it, it is not completely yours until you actually can use it in a, in a life, real life situation. So application, uh, we call TRIG, technique, you take the technique. R, repetition, we rep it out. Isolation, I, we isolate it into a, to a situation or a drill, and then a live go or grapple. That's how we develop, let's say, your triangle escape. So we take the technique, we rep it out, we isolate it, and then we actually try it in a real life situation. That's awesome. But, it's not, it, but, but that's not real life until you add the strikes. <laughs> so like you're grappling and the guy's got you in a triangle and you're learning the triangle escape and I go, that's 50%, that's 50% real. And they go, what do you mean? I go, put the MMA gloves on right now. And I go, now, now it's 95% real. And they go, well, how do you make it 100% real? I go, someone take your shirt off. Someone get angry. <laughs> start swearing and spitting. Take your gloves off. Let's go bare knuckle. <laughs> and I go, but we don't need to do that because that's why they develop gloves. So we could keep it under wrap a little bit and make it as real as possible 
the problem a lot of people have is that they learn jujitsu uh, without the learning any striking aspect whatsoever. So guys are are you know going up uh, underneath you. They're doing barambolos and and other things. I just want to say. People go, oh yeah, he practices barambolo more than getting punched in the face on the ground. And I'm like, but when you become an expert at the barambolo, it's a flash in the pan. It's it's a one second attack and it's a surprise attack. But you learn it slow motion. And you know while you're going upside down, you're like, man, I'm in so much trouble in the street fight right here. But if you could do it at 100 miles an hour, you know, I don't know anyone that can match you and punch your face in that fast in one second. And that's what the mastery and the repetition of technique is, is taking something that's a, a, an ordinary move and making, ex, making it extraordinary by repping it and understanding, understanding it, the ins, the outs, the goods, the bads, the pros, the cons, and then trying it in a real life situation. That's why uh, Vunak was was uh, really great. Paul Vunak was he trained with Guru Dan, and he loved Bruce Lee. And, and Vunak used to learn and learn a new move. And he goes, "Man, I wonder if this would work. I wonder if this would work in a street fight." Because that's all he wanted to know if it would work for real. So, so uh, he would go to a bar. And he would go there with his friend Tom Cruise, not not the Tom Cruise, but Tom. <laughs> And he go, okay, Tom, you stay out here with a video camera. Get ready. And he would go there and he'd go, yeah, give me the cheapest beer you got. And then he would take a sip out of the beer, throw it. In a, he'd go up to the biggest guy in the bar. He'd sit next to him. And he would take a sip and he would throw it in the guy's face. And the guy goes, what the hell? He goes, you want to fight? Let's go. And he would run outside. And as he would run outside, he goes now and Tom Cruise would jump out with the camera and he would film <laughs> him trying to do his new moves on people man what a genius <laughs> balls of steel to the, you know like that's crazy yeah and, and he, he, he had he had so many videos of him street fighting and trying his straight blasts and the collar tie with the elbow and the headbutt and the knee he had all these different videos of it. Uh, Ray knows. Ray, I think Ray was under Vunak. Vunak was cutting edge. So all of a sudden, he would get bit. But uh, sometimes it would backfire, and maybe it wouldn't work. So he would kind of get his ass kicked or whatever. <laughs> and I remember one, one day at, Higgin, at Hickson's, I remember because Vunak and Tom Cruise were training with me, and he showed up to practice one day on a Monday or, yeah, because he, he had a, a, a weekend off. And he showed up, you know, had a cut from here to here. And it was just healing up. And I go, is that new? Because I don't remember seeing that on you, like, last week. He goes, oh, it's old. It's an old injury. I was <laughs> like, but that looks like a fresh cut. He goes, no, nah, it's old. So he would never, ever admit to anything and and I always knew because I knew uh, a couple of the guys that I trained were his friends, and he used to do stuff like that. Freaking wild! Man. But he would always try everything out. He would try all the stuff out in the street to see if it was functional. <laughs> That's why he had such a huge following for so long because they go Vunak's street fighting stuff 
is is cutting edge. That's awesome. And then he, like me, when they found out that there was this new Brazilian art in town that would challenge everybody, is like, oh, hold on. Then he started learning that, and then he incorporated his bite flow into the jiu-jitsu stuff. Bunek has a bite flow that he created from Kinematai, where uh, you put him in a headlock, he'll bite a hole through your through your ribs. He'll just bite a hole. He'll bite you. And don't get your fingers near his mouth. He'll bite your fingers off. Just stuff like that. Your nose, your ear, your cheek. And so basically when he would clamp down on you, you'd go, ah, and you'd move his face. And, and it was like bite, 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 bite. And he created this whole bite flow, which was up to like 120-some bites. And he, he would experiment on meat. So he would buy, just they would go buy a bunch of steak, and he would grab the steak, and he would practice all these different methods of biting. And sometimes they would put the steak, they put you know the steak in a sock, and they'd try to bite through the sock, and no, and and you got like the short little bites, and then you got the nine, and you got the tearing, and then the circling, and all the different. There's all different types of biting methods. Nice. How do you tear a piece of meat from somebody? And uh, so, and then they would uh, wash the steak and then uh, cook it and eat it. <laughs> they you wouldn't waste it. Earn, earn, your, earn your dinner. That's right. So, so uh, speaking it, of Tom Cruise, you, you used to do um, stunt work. And I don't know if I heard this the right way, but were you training Jason Statham to originally be John Wick? John Wick, yeah. I never knew that he was up for that role. Thirty, there was thirty-five moves that we that I trained him in, and it was all standing. Uh, let me tell you something. He would do. He would watch it one time, and he would get it after the first try. He would watch it. He would try it once, and he would have it the second time. He was a fast learner. He was super athletic. He had that mindset. You know, and, and he used to be brought in to 87-11, and he would just, Chad just said, put a bunch of stuff together, like cover and hit, and then grab the arm and go under. So it was Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Sambo, catch wrestling. It, it was a mixture of everything because he said, I want all the flashy stuff, jumping legs, scissor throws, uh, wrist locks, Tons, tons of different throws, Aikido with a head and arm throw, throwing a left, C-Lot, which were the sails running through, Puder Kapalas, just all these different throws that he was learning. And, um, and then it was Chad, because this was a year and a half in advance before the John Wick series came out. And the first time they had me come down, they said, hey, can you come down and show us some stuff? And I go, sure, what would you like? And I go, I go, takedowns or throws or submission? And they go, um, takedowns with one hand. Can you do <laughs> one-handed throws and takedowns? I go, sure. And I, I did a bunch, and they go, good. And I go, why one hand? And they go, because the other hand, you've got a gun. And I go, oh. <laughs> so then I created, like, uh, all these different ways after I'd throw guys, or as I'm throwing them, I'm shooting them in the air. I'm like, Pew! <laughs> and then I, I put my gun back in my holster and I shot my foot. Oh, and I was bouncing around. And Jason, I got Jason laughing. He goes, that guy's funny, but he's, he's mean, but he's funny. 
<laughs> Did and, you work with uh, Keanu Reeves at all for that? Uh, I didn't because they brought him in. So this is a year and a half ahead of time. And, and Chad told me, Chad Stahelski told me that he had a movie or a, a show that they were planning on prepping somebody for. And it was a, the guy was an old school jujitsu specialist. He was a, like a, like a hitman that, that knew uh, old school j Japanese jujitsu. And I go, nerve hits and throws. He goes, yeah, yeah, like that stuff. He goes, and some of the fun, crazy things that you could do, like, uh, you know, all the hanging arm throws and, and the jumping throws, the jumping, jumping arm bars and the jumping knee bars and scissor throws. And I go, perfect. Sure. So we just started putting them all down. And then I sent one of my black belts over there. His name's Eric Brown. And uh, he should change his name to black by now. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, why is he hanging on to that last name? So next thing you know, uh, I sent him over. And then Eric was a was one of the only guys I trained that I, I could just say one thing and he knew exactly what I was saying. So I could just call stuff out like that. And he knew exactly what I was saying. He came and moved here. He saw me fight in Texas. And then he just showed up on my doorstep. He said, I'm here to train with you. I saw you fight in Texas. And I go, uh, have you ever done a seminar with me? He goes, no. And I go, and you're here to train with me? He goes, yeah. And I go, okay, I have fight practice. That would be best for you. So he jumped in fight and night practice. And he, he came in as a blue belt from Carlos. And he was... He got through the ranks really fast. He got he got his black belt a lot faster than a lot of other people because he knew because he would study and he was super smart and every night he would go home and he would read and he was so serious about it. I let him work at my front desk uh, at my gym for a while so he would be a sponge for everything and then I would use him for private lessons and uh, I, Chad goes, who do you have that's like you that could come down and train us and what you do? And I was like, oh boy. Um, and then I got Eric Brown. And then uh, he's like, is he a black belt? And I go, fresh. He's a fresh black belt. And so Chad brought him in to all the guys. And he's actually in all three of them, all three of the series. And I got Eric into stunt work because he went down there to teach him jujitsu. And next thing you know, I go, if you, if you play your P's and Q's right, you have to be humble. You have to be respectful. You have to be funny. And you have to want to learn. And you have to train really hard. And if you can do that, Chad will take you under. And he will start throwing you in the mix. And you'll start to get work. I said, but if you're interested. And I said, are you interested? And he goes, yes. I go, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. And I, I don't send people to Chad. Uh, to 8711 or Damon. I don't send them unless they're 100% serious and they have skill. And he learned how to trick. He could jump. He could jump. Uh, he could. So usually you learn how to drive. You learn how to fall. You learn how to burn. Uh, whatever you could do, climb. Like it, it helps that if you were an adventurer before you got into stunts. But gymnastics is the biggest, the biggest. Uh, plus when you go into stunt work because you know where your body is in the air at all times so when you're taking a nasty shitter 
you know that you tuck and you ball up and you roll out of it. So Aikido is good for that. Judo is good for that. But so is gymnastics. Nice. Trampoline work, tons of trampoline work. And then uh, uh, choreography. How do, how do you kick? These guys all are expert kickers and trickers. They're, they taught themselves how to trick. It's amazing. I have, a vi- I have some video footage of the stunt guys that came down. You should see them trick. They kick and then they spin and they jump and they're doing barrel rolls and they're doing double twisting full back flips on the floor. And my gymnastics coach goes, you could tell he never learned gymnastics. And I go, how do you say that? Why do you say that? He goes, because he's crooked. He, gymnasts are in a straight line because they learn the correct form. And then, and then I turn around and I go, Jeremy, did you do gymnastics? He goes, no, I'm self-taught. And I go, you taught yourself how to do all that stuff? He goes, yes. And I was like, you would, you would, your jaw would hit the floor. Completely amazing. And, and because the, these guys uh, learn how to trick, and there's countless hours at 8711 because these guys got star roles. You know, they're doubling, they're doubling all these top-level actors. And uh, Damon and Chad originally owned 8711, and then they split. Those are my two training partners. And um, Chad continued with 8711, and then Dave Leach, who is now uh, Dave, Dave Mark. He is the coordinator for Deadpool 2 and all these other Wolverine and all these great, they do the Avenger series and all these other ones. And then, and then you got our, our other guy, Damon does the DC stuff like uh, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, he, he's on that aspect. So it's good. They're all Inasano bred uh, martial artists. And, and we all grew up together training together. And I, I started going into the stunt aspect. I did it for about 10 years. And then I thought, you know what? I don't, I, I'm a goof off. They go, hey, invite Eric on this film. Bring him in, give him a part so, so he can uh, make us laugh the whole time. And that's what I was. I was a local just. I would come in. Uh, I would go in there and just make these guys laugh because all I would do is goof off the whole time. And... And they're like, where's Eric? They go, he's at the craft service table. He's always at the craft service. I'm like filling my bag just full of, I go, look at all this free food. I got to get my money's worth. <laughs> and it was funny, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think when you start to get into serious relationships and you want to get married and stuff, uh, it's uh, the stunt stuff because you're gone for so long. It's, it's uh, taxing on your Unless they're involved, there are stunt people also. It's just tough. It's a tough, the entertainment industry is very tough like that. But I was very fortunate to get in at the top level and be there for a long time. I was on Baywatch a bunch of times and a bunch of other little shows here and there. But um, I grew Dan in Asano when I, when I was 96. I was demoing with him on a seminar and we were in Texas and he sat me down. And he goes, I want to talk to you, Eric. Um, I know you're at a crossroads here and you're contemplating because all your friends are in movies and you are still fighting. Um, that was right after I won the belt in Japan. And he's like, I want to talk to you seriously. He- 
All right, that was the first part of the Eric Paulson interview. Part two will be out this week on Thursday. Again, this is Eric Paulson week on the A-Game podcast. So hopefully you guys like that. Again, we take a little bit of a different direction on the second part of this episode. Eric was a real stud for giving us all his time and a ton of his content. I really, uh, I like the way that this interview starts to go. He's got so many different things he can touch on. So that was the first part. I know we went a little bit over an hour. Uh, second part will be out this Thursday, the week of Labor Day. Uh, about 45 minutes left in that episode, so definitely check it out. Please subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. Hit the subscribe button. You will automatically get updates and downloads when the new episodes come out. And if you could please take a minute and give us five stars and review, it goes a long way. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you very much again to Eric Paulson, and I hope you guys like the second half of the episode, which will be coming out in just a few days. Thank you very much. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught Tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585. 0585 for your free.